Is that, am I here right now? Boom. Okay. Anytime? Yeah, whenever you're ready. All right. This is Raven no, Lightholm. Oh, fuck. No, okay. no, go ahead. Ready? This is Raven Lightholm, and you're listening to The Massacast, which is intended for adults 18 or over. Hello, and thanks for downloading another episode. Uh, here it is. We're the, at the end of 2014. And uh, every year, about this time, I say to myself, okay, this next year is going to be the last year of the Massacast. And invariably what happens is uh, someone donates and has a kind word, or someone leaves a review on iTunes and leaves something that inspires me to keep going for another year. So I, I can't tell you if two, 2015 will be the last year of the podcast, but I can tell you this. Because of the people who donated and supported and sent words of encouragement, that's why 2014 happened. So thank you to those of you who did that. And thanks to everyone who promoted the podcast, either by Twitter or writing a blog post about it. That was very kind of you. Thanks. That's, that really means a lot. In the next few episodes, we've got some uh, adult performers. We've got some people who are in the adult industry. We've got uh, people... Uh, we're going to explore the Canadian kink scene a bit. We're going to do a whole bunch of stuff. And that's all because of you. This episode, our good friend Midori is back with some great words of wisdom. She's got some great uh, events coming up. You can find out everything about her by going to massacast.com. We've got all of the links to her websites and on Twitter. And she's actually got her own mini podcast that you can subscribe to and listen to her. as she. It's, basically, it's like sitting down with Midori and having coffee with her. It's really great. So without further ado, here it is, conversation with Midori and myself. Now this is a little different, or you were originally, we're actually both in New York right now, but because of my, my surgery, I'm laying on my back and I didn't want to subject you to uh, me walking with a cane and being a grumpy guy. <laughs> so instead, you're at our, our mutual friend Vivian's place right now. Is, 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 mm-hmm. She is like... Is she like your handler when you're in New York? Is that how that that works? Oh, she is like my awesome, awesome sidekick <laughs> and um, a fellow nefarious plotter. <laughs> she is. She is so on the ball over everything. You know, it seems like twice or three times a month, I'll email Vivian asking her a question, and I'm just asking her like just a kind of a casual like, "Hey, um, Vivian, what was the name of the person who did X, Y, and Z? Well, not only will she tell me the name of the person, she'll she'll have forwarded an e- introductory email to that person. She's like the conciliary and the godfather. She's, she's yeah, it's amazing, yeah. amazing, absolutely. Uh, so, so as long as you're in Vivian's hands, nothing is going to go wrong, basically. So that's correct, and I'll be well fed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, so yes. Yeah, so rather than me uh, subject you to that, we change change of plans. We decided to jump on Skype. Because I didn't want to miss the the opportunity to still talk talk to you about uh, everything you're up to. So, um, uh, first of all, last time we talked, you were about to do uh, an art installation. Uh, so we could do it like a follow up on that. Tell us more about how that uh, how that turned out. Uh, uh, is it going to inspire you to do more more things like oh. in the future? Tell us about it. So this is about the the performance and art installation I did at the Asian Arts Museum in San Francisco. And uh, for those of you who have not been to San Francisco, when you do do stop by the San Francisco Asian Arts Museum, it's one of the world-class museums on uh, museum 
as well as a collecting institution, preservation institution, and the education foundation around Asian art and Asian American art. Really spectacular institution, right at the level of Sackler. I personally, you know, hometown pride. Sackler's wonderful. I think the San Francisco Asian's even better, but I'm a little biased. So they asked me to do a performance and art installation for this fantastic uh, three-month exhibition called Gorgeous, and that was actually in conjunction with the San Francisco Modern Art Museum. So the San Francisco Asian Art Museum and the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art jointly presented this uh, exhibition called Gorgeous. Very challenging, very exciting uh, multimedia art around the concept of gorgeous, right? But looking at at the beauty and the grotesque and the different imagery and iconography, just stunning and very challenging um, exhibition. And for one of the special evenings, they invited me to create a performance, an experience. And so created this piece that encompassed from the downstairs courtyard lobby all the way up through the stairs and into the Samsung Exhibition Hall. Uh, where I myself in the the role of the Yamamba, the the Japanese crone, um, it's a character that I performed through in like the last, oh, gosh, uh, fifteen years mm-hmm. or so or something like that, and also working with uh, my friend and amazing performer Samar and another performing arts friend. He goes by three, <laughs> and. Uh, what I did was created a beautiful, giant, beautiful and grotesque, giant flower arrangement using the two dancers. It sounds interesting. And they are amazing modern dancers, and they really know how to move their, their bodies under challenging situations. So I moved their, I, I create flower arrangement using their body, and then I paint their body with sumi ink and do portions of their body imprinting onto these papers, uh, creating imprints that then later on I create into uh, abstract imagery, a very evocative sort of abstract imagery using gold leaf and gold paint combined with that and put into a scroll. So it's the imprinting of and making permanent the temporal moments uh, and temporal experiences of beauty. Is, that, is there anywhere for that someone can see this online, or is there? can they see it there? My art site, ronshin.com, is going to be reconfigured. So if you go, depending on when you're listening to this, you may or may not be seeing the new site. Okay. So it will be in there soon. Well, we'll have a link to it on, um, on the Massacast website for this interview too. So. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I'm not a web designer. I'm an artist of a different sort. So I, I'm currently working with an amazing web designer that's going to make it happen and make it in such a way that me, not a web person, can keep it updated regularly. But I also do post my artwork in a lot of my social media and on my Facebook page. I actually have an album about my art and installation. So that's another. If a person's on Facebook. Uh, they can go and check it out there in my photo albums. Perfect. Uh, and you've been doing the uh, uh, the classes, Rope Dojo and Forte Femme. They're, they're still yes. going sl- strong. In fact, it sounds, uh, you, you were talking beforehand, it sounds like you had to add 
more classes to the Fort de Femme class as well? Yes. Now, Rope Dojo, the two-day weekend intensive, that happens three times a year. And we have this amazing team of eight cadre members, and we have to gather together, coordinate all of our vacation times, etc. So that, an amazing weekend, only happens three times a year, and I'm not able to add more, so people shouldn't miss it. Um, it's It's an intense and unusual weekend. We don't focus just on tying because tying alone, knots alone, does not great bondage make. And what makes for amazing scenes and great flights of pleasure and depth of intensity and connection doesn't happen just from how you handle rope, but how you handle the entire scene, how you handle each other, how you handle your own emotional presence. There's a great degree of there's a great degree that's asked of the people participating. And at a certain level, how to tie a fine knot is a small part of it all. And to balance what we call, we, we teach from what we call the head-heart-hand method. So there's theory, psychology, emotion, presence as well as the technical proficiency but practice so much so that the technical aspect of it becomes second nature and we start to pay attention to our emotional needs our sexual needs how to create the most compatible and soul-filling pleasure-fulfilling scenes so i guess a few things that come to mind when you say this what are the most uh when someone comes in and I'm sure, cause you do, like you said, you do these three times a year and you've been doing this for a while now. How many years have been doing the rope dojo? Started 2002. Oh, wow. I believe so for tw- yes. 12 years now then. Uh, uh-huh. This will yeah. be the 13th. And this year I'm really unnoted for my quick arithmetic. That's what people know me for. <laughs> so what is, uh, when people show up, I imagine now that there's a certain personality, a certain certain misconception that is very common. What is the big thing that when people walk in the door that you almost always have to correct? And it's just because people have the, a misconception about how, how this stuff works. What is the most common misconception or most common thing you need to correct in people's minds when, when they're showing up for the class? Sure. Um, there, there's a few. It depends on uh, how they came to rope, mm-hmm. right? So... Maybe not the most, but I can list some of the common sure, ones. Sure, yeah, that'd be great, yeah. So, like, common ones would be that uh, that the ties of the ropes have to perfectly replicate a picture image of a given rope tie shape. Right. They right? believe that it and, must look like this picture that they saw this one time or something. Right, right exactly, that, that it must look like this static imagery. And the thing is, that imagery may have been created with the the intention and objective in mind of creating a pleasing picture. Mm-hmm. To, to create a set that makes for a pleasing picture doesn't exactly mean that the, the shared experience was that of a scene. It could just be a photo shoot set. Right. right. right? So it's like cooking, right? Um, if you... Uh, I, I'm not much of a cook, but I do like eating, and I do love the study of cooking. Right? So if I were to take uh, an amazing, uh, 
amazing cookbook, like maybe a Momofuku cookbook or something like that. And there's like this beautiful photo spread of the perfectly done, oh, I don't know, perfectly done uh, delectable whole salmon, this, that, or the other, or a cassoulet or something like that. And that it must look exactly like that. Like, no, um, people don't cook like that. The photos are an inspiration. The recipes are a guideline. And so when people come in, they come in with this idea of, of it, it's got to look like the picture. And so how do you correct that in their minds besides just telling them, no, that's, that's incorrect? Do you just, do you just, do, do you try to give them, what is the, what is the thing that they're, what is the goal that they should have in mind instead of the picture? The goal to have in mind, because at Rope Dojo, we teach for, we teach first of all, to get people to think about what's the intention of the experience you're going into, right? So first identify what the intention Mm -hmm. is, right? And once you identify the intention of that experience, then you can clearly identify the goal and then figure out what tools and techniques are needed for that. So for example, if it's two lovers playing and they're sexual, and uh, so... You know, it's it's Joe and John, and they're tying each other up, and and it's about fucking and having a good time. That's the objective: right. is the two of them having a good time. On the other hand, if um, if Joe and John are doing a performance, say, like at a, a nightclub or an event or something like the Torture Garden, then what's the objective? The objective is not about each other's fun. The primary objective is to create entertainment or visual piece of art, right? right. So that's the objective. Um, the and then is it that you're creating a photo shoot? Is it that? So you you have to identify the goal. Right. Uh, we are rope dojo tends to teach from the place of okay, you're. Whatever your intention is, let us first look at the people that are participating. We're going to start off at the place of we are sharing playtime together. Then all the other intentions can be adjusted from there. So uh, Joe and John or Frank and Sally or Sarah and Rachel are playing and, you know, whatever. They're having a good time. Their objective is pleasure, thrill, each other's company, connection. Now, thrills and pleasures come in different flavors. Some people have cozy, warm, snuggly fun. Some people for their fun is scary. Some people for their fun is exhilarating. For some people, it's intensely focusing or intensely uncomfortable. So a whole range. And to identify that first and then to identify what kind of emotional, sexual, physiological, psychological state you wish to go to, then... Then, once you identify that need, the intent, where you want to go to, then you pull out all the skill sets you have and apply it. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're grilling a steak, you won't use a rubber spatula. So, so, so uh, we're kind of going through the most common misconceptions because I imagine this is very helpful. This is going to be extremely helpful for the people who are just starting out in rope, or maybe people who've been in rope for a while, or, or not, not even just for rope, but just any type of play, really. Anything, um, yeah, yeah. 
So, so the idea. That- what's what's the point of it all? It's to have fun. Right, right. What does your fun look like? Well, okay, this is what your fun looks like, and what tools do you need to make it happen? Right. And look, you know, if a couple of folks are uh, ha- having a good time, tying their wrists up, and having a good shag, if the the ropes on the body don't look exactly like what's in the book or what's on the internet. It's not a problem. Right, right, right. By the end of it, if they both had a good time and there were a few orgasms to be had on top of that, yay. <laughs> right, right. Awesome. Yeah. You're not going to be thinking you know, about the I, rope and how it looks, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if it's gorgeous from some third-party perspective, but one or more of the participants are bored, right. then that's a fail. Right, right, right. Yeah. Oh, here's another misconception. Okay. So first misconception is that, you know, it has to look exactly in this particular manner. Right. So then uh, another common misconception is that suspension bondage is the ultimate pinnacle of rope bondage skills. And it is the most advanced thing that one can achieve. And one must do that. I have heard that from people who are topping and people who are bottoming. That somehow I've heard of people feeling pressured to either give or receive, to cast rope, to to suspend or to be suspended. And if they're feeling undue pressure to do something that is not what makes them happy, then what's the point of consensual kink play if we're falling into peer pressure? Of performing in the way that others are expected, then it's no different than um, then it's no different than the kind of sex negativity or assumptive sex that we're trying to get away from. Right. Yeah. And the way that I think about it, um, true quote advanced unquote true advanced bondage. The way that I see it is if you're achieving your mutually shared desired state in higher percentage rate than before, if you're hitting the mark on what you want to get to and what kind of state you want to achieve more and more often, that's advanced. If you're hitting everybody's desired state and pleasure 90% of the time because we're allowed off nights. If we're hitting that 90% and every time you have a scene, wow, that was amazing. That's advanced. Yeah, that's pretty good, yeah. Yeah. And that could just be a couple of pieces of rope. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the other thing that I, I know is that uh, there are people who, um, you know, the, for them it's it's how expensive the equipment is, Right. Whereas, you know, I know people who they don't need any equipment, you know, like you said, they need just a, a, a little piece of rope and that's it or, or not even any rope. They just need each other or something. Um, yep. Uh, but yeah, you know, they'll spend, they'll spend, you know, $10,000 on a spanking bench or something and that's supposed to make them, you know, a much better dom or something, you know, than that it's, it's really... Well, if they get satisfaction out of uh, material quality and that's part of their experience, that's a legitimate pleasure. Sure, sure. But it's if they believe that uh, acquisition of material would somehow give, alone would somehow provide bliss, then 
you know, it's kind of like if now I'm not a good driver. Okay. Now, if I suddenly bought an expensive, fancy sports car, I'm still not a good driver. <laughs> right, right. No, absolutely. What uh, yeah. is, uh, is there anything else that comes to mind uh, as far as the big uh, misconceptions? Or are those the, the two big ones right there? Those are two big right. ones. Um, one that, that I'm particularly keen on talking about that I, I hear often is the use of top and bottom as nouns as opposed to verb. Right, sure, yeah. Yeah, and that somebody will be like, I'm a top. Well, no, you, you're not, you are not top. That is not your whole identity. You are Jane or Frank or whoever you are, okay? So, for example, me, I am not a top. I'm Midori. I cast rope for pleasure, and I choose to top and I try to give the I try to do the best topping that I can so to think of top as to top that it is a verb that it is an action word that it requires my presence my mind my skill but it is not my identity my identity is far more complicated I do not wish to be reduced into a checkbox and likewise an individual is not a top they top or they bottom. So that also means that if if one decides on a particular evening that they don't want to do that, it doesn't negatively impact on them. I've also had people like, oh, I'm I I'm a I'm a bottom, therefore I can't handle rope and put it on somebody else. I'm like, no. That's not true. Yeah, that's a it's it's an you know? easy way to get kind of stuck in in something that's uh no, I I understand what your point is there because it, it yeah. there, I know a lot of people who are like that because they get so hung up on the identity of what they believe the identity means as opposed to they you know mm-hmm. as a person right and as a person they are so much more complex and richer than a mere word and it's it's interesting because at the same time they'll say don't label me but they're labeling themselves <laughs> but if we consider. And also I find that if we think of topping and bottoming as active participatory experience and states that we step into where there are uh, responsibilities and joys, but that we also can step out of the that and not and step out of that, and you are still yourself. Why do you think we label ourselves that way? Why, or why do, why do you think we have a... Um uh, sort of a, a, a desire to to put ourselves into these containers like that. Why? What is the? Is it because it's much easier to, you know, we don't have to think about it too deeply if we just kind of put this vague um, thing on us? Or have you? So so many potential potential ways to look at this, but you know, maybe part of it is just linguistic laziness. Uh, that's you know yeah. when. Yeah, you know, if if I met you at a party and say, hey, you know, you're top or you're bottom, which is a shorthand, quick way of saying, you know, hey, you're kind of hot there and I have this thing I want to do and are you the person that could do this thing to me that I want done because I think you're really hot. People say that to me all the Gets time. Short- hey, yeah. hey, so yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of people. And I think it's a shorthand. I think it's a linguistic laziness that we've ended up uh, eventually mistaking it as an identity. Right. 
you know it was a it was a shorthand that just said would these things be of interest to you tonight no that's a that's a great that's a yeah that's you're you're absolutely right one one thing that uh, because because there are you have these classes you do and and also not just your class but that we we have uh especially if you live in a bigger city or, or on the coasts especially we have a lot of 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 resources for learning you know whether it's except you know it, what about those people who uh they would they would give their right arm to be able to go to a rope dojo uh and learn what but they can't because they're in New Zealand or whatever they can't afford a, a ticket what are some good resources for them that you'd recommend ah you've got oh, some books out there that well, help well, right? first they first they should not give their right arm because it's hard to tie I'm one sure hand it's, it's yes, not it impossible is. but it's it hard is, I'm sure yeah yeah um well let's see um i truly believe that nothing really replaces hands on training mm-hmm. right this and hands on experimentation so you can have all these resources, but at some point or another, you got to get the material tool in hand and actually do, yeah. right? Um, so nothing replaces that. And even if you're, you're, you're getting other source material, that at some point or another, just, just grab the tool, the rope, the flogger, the whatever, and find somebody that's, that's fun and uh, experimental and forgiving <laughs> because it's like riding a bicycle. You know, you can, you can study how to ride a bicycle and the centrifugal force and the physics of it all you want in, in books and movies and online and talk about it. But if you don't get on a bicycle, you never know what it's like to have that initial wobble, the feel that, that oh, my God, I'm going to fall feeling, maybe what it's like to fall. And then finally that feel when you get that perfect bounce and you've got the wind through your helmeted hair. <laughs> um, and, you know, you're, you're not going to know what it's like. You know, you're not going to know what it's like that, oh, hey, now I have to turn left. I have a, I have a right. friend who tried, who, who, who went down this, down this road because they just – bought all the books did all this stuff and it just couldn't find uh someone to play with but what he ended up doing was he he found the reason why he was ha- having a hard time finding someone to practice on was because he always um put it under the guise of um yeah we're gonna i'm gonna practice tying you up and then we're gonna fuck or something right well then what he found of when he specifically said it's you're gonna keep your clothes on this you're you know this is when he was putting his ad out or whatever uh, and when he was looking for his potential practice person, he made it very explicit to say, look, there's going to be no sex at all. You're going to keep your clothes on the whole time. This is only going to be about me practicing rope and you experiencing rope. And that's it. There'll be nothing sexual at all. Um, once he put that, he actually had a lot of a lot of people volunteering um, mm-hmm. because it was a safe space, right? Because there were a lot of people who wanted yeah. to experience it, but didn't want to experience it in, you know, in a sexual way. They want, because they were too nervous to, mm-hmm. and eventually he, you know, got his skill set up, built his skill set based on it. And now, because he's well known as being someone who's very good at it. Now he's got tons of opportunities to play along with sex if he wants, but he had to, he yeah. had to specifically say, look, this is not going to be about, this is just going to be about, be about me learning, you know, uh, and it sounded now, a lot of safer. Of course, if some if somebody has lovers in their lives, yes, yeah. then you know, hey, that might it might be an opposite situation where it said, well, you know, if I get to practice, 
then there's sex too. <laughs> right. then, you know, that person might get, yeah, yeah, sure, right, sure, right. sure. So yeah, at some point or another, um, just try, yeah. just try, because you know this isn't. If if you've managed to live in this world this long, and figure out that you can fall off a bicycle, get back on, and then try again. Right, common sense applies. Keep it simple. I mean, there there are three things, right? Don't don't kill them, don't harm them, don't bore them. That's what we say in Rope Dojo. <laughs> don't kill them, don't harm them, don't bore them. So at some point or another, you just do need to try. Now, having said that, a few simple things that might help. Um, there are books, but even even simpler, totally simple. I've got a couple of Vimeo, and I think I've got one in YouTube too. But I have a Vimeo station. Mm-hmm. That uh, under Planet Midori, that'll give a couple of really, really simple ties. Um, I actually got, just a couple days ago, a third-party message through a friend that did my lightning harness on a brand-new boyfriend, and apparently he scored big time. <laughs> so I'm very happy That's about great. that. So, yeah, I've got a little video channel on Vimeo under Planet Midori. That's a really easily approachable one. That's great. Okay? So... Yeah, and then I do have some. I do have my uh, seductive art of Japanese bondage book out. Yeah. Now, yeah. Well, so there's that. Uh, let's also let's also of course we've got you've got your your Forte Femme, which has been oh yeah, huge. yeah right. Uh, yes, the Forte Femme Women's Dominance Weekend Intensive. That is a unique and special course. It happens, and I'm adding more to that because it's getting kind of crazy popular it's two and a half days so you know three days with me nine women brain dump and it's not about learning what what i call the wacky pokey bindy techniques because right now it is the golden age of bdsm we have amazing resources everywhere and you can totally quote me on that right now is the golden age of bdsm for all the nostalgia we may have of bygone era, there's been no other time like now. You've got resources in every possible format, um, live in books and videos, uh, um, everything. We've got self-organized groups, etc. But even still, I have found that that delving into the difficult part of how to find your true authentic power source, your true, authentic, confident self, for her to find that and to apply it from the bedroom to the boardroom. That's the important thing. So there is a common thing. I, you know, I do a lot of, uh, I have a lot of conversations with uh, my pro-dom friends on the podcast. A lot of them say that when they first start out, they have to kind of make this fake persona and it's this persona of, and you know, some of them don't, but many, when they first start out, they have to sort of feign the confidence, so to speak, by uh, making this sort of like, you know, the stereotypical dominatrix persona, right? Oh, uh, the caricature. Right, right, the caricature. And then uh, almost all of them say, you know, they'll shudder, they'll say, oh my God, when I first started out, that's what I, because they, they felt that's what they felt they had to do, right? Because they were just starting out. So I, I imagine it sounds like you help them find their real version of that without the caricature sort of thing. Is that what, is that what it's all about? Indeed. And part of the joy, too, is that it is in this secluded, 
weekend of, and it's just us women talking about how to find your your true power source and your true power expression that is a, both compassionate, loving, and authentic, and that is viable in our complicated lives. No, the caricature and the media-created stereotype is not viable. It's insulting, and it's limiting, and it's often um, cast upon the, the woman from from the outside, and then when she internalizes it, she's now stunted herself in terms of her growth into her, her fully actualized person, right? Yeah, it's to create this amazing weekend where the women are supportive of one another, and we figure out how to balance our pleasures as well as responsibilities in this world. So how do you, I mean, what are the steps you go through to help someone find that part of themselves? Ah, okay. So this is why it takes a whole weekend, right? right? So we we distill. I, I have a, a unique composition of a, a curriculum that helps people to distill and figure out what they hunger for and desire in the moment. There's a lot of shaking loose of and and trashing commonplace expectations. We explore sources of childhood joy. We look at archetypal modeling. Uh, we dig into um, the role models and mythologies in our head, the narratives that we tell ourselves. And there's a whole process in which they go through these step-by-step, strange little exercises along the way. And suddenly, there's a light bulb moment where all these little components that we do in exercise, word exercises, action exercises, in ferreting out what truly makes us happy as opposed to what we think we should be made happy by. Then all of it coalesce into the, oh my God, this is what I've been wanting this whole time, or this is what I've been feeling has been missing in my life. So, yeah, it's, it's a... It's a very deep process. So, and from when we last spoke uh, about this, you, you mentioned that there were people who were just starting out who had no experience in it whatsoever, along with people who had tons of experience who just wanted to like to reconnect with some part of themselves, or uh, that you had yeah. people from all all different experience levels. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it's been a great gathering of women, indeed. Uh, and you know what? What the the women have in common is that they are all seriously invested in leading a full and fulfilled life. And they recognize that what they have now, it could be better. I imagine it, the hardest part is just walking in the door that, that to begin with, right? That's got to be the, one of the hardest parts of it? Yes, because many of the women come from different backgrounds. Sure, there are, uh, there are the gals that come from... Uh, Places, you know, they go to all the different events and they go to the munches and they have lots of kinky friends. But there are women who, like, they don't have anyone else in their life that they can speak about this with. Right. Where they come maybe from uh, cultural or religious backgrounds that don't allow for such support. Right. Yeah, it's, it's huge. They themselves may be in the process of shaking off gender bias expectations that come from their families of origin. 
And it's amazing. They will travel not only across the country, but from different countries in order to find this safe space where they can empower themselves. That's uh, that's really amazing. And so when, when you get, I imagine you get a lot of emails of people who are just sort of uh, fishing for information, trying to, you know, trying to be, you know, get the courage to come in. What are the most common concerns they have when they're, you know, emailing you, asking you questions and uh, kind of hemming and hawing, decide if they want to take that jump? Well, I will. Okay. So comes in a couple different types. One will be, I don't know anything about this. Maybe I'm too inexperienced for this on the one side, yeah. right? Then there's another side where it's like, you know, I've been to, to all the events that there is. I've been all the books that there is. I feel like there's something missing. And, and I, don't know how in, in, I don't know how you could possibly provide any different uh, experience or information. But can you? So they feel that they have tapped out everything and they actually don't believe that there's another way to look at this. Well, it is easy to get a little – because if you do go to enough events, they all kind of seem the same, right? Because if you're going to the Mm -hmm. same, you know, I don't know, fill-in-the-blank weekend – uh, you know, thing where there's 500 different classes on something, you know, y- you eventually start going just because your friends are going, right? Because they're all, exactly. you, and you're seeing the exact same presentation on fill in the blank that you've seen 500 other times, which is fine because yeah. again, you have, you're hanging around with friends. And so, but I can understand the idea of when people who are, if they go to tons of these events, what would be different mm-hmm. about it? it but it, it's, you know, you're doing a completely different kind of event than that. Well, that's exactly why the weekend came into existence, because I got frustrated with teaching two-hour classes. Right. I could never go into the depth and customize it and personalize it. The, the, thing that, okay, the reason that it's only nine women is because every single person gets their attention, and it's customized to finding what each single woman of the attendees Right. What? Need and feed. I, I, I need to give them, they need to walk away from the weekend with tools by which that at any moment they are feeling a lack of confidence, of self-doubt, that they can collect and tap into their place of power. And you said that you use so, this for, yeah. uh, it's, it's not just for, you know, in the bedroom or the, in the DS relationship. It's just uh, in general. Oh, yes, absolutely in general. Because if you can call forth your your authentic, powerful, gracious self in the bedroom, if you get used to that and then, you know, you've got that you've got that big contract negotiation or you, you're going to go in and ask for that promotion or you're going to sign the deal on that multi million dollar account, you gotta walk in with true power and confidence. Or the business world's going to eat you right. up. Yeah. I've had, you know, sure, I've, you know, early on we were talking about people were like, I have no experience in this stuff. And yet, at the same time, there are going to be, there are going to be people who are amazing business people. But even so, they feel like there's like an edge that they could be that they feel like they're missing, that they could have. So what do you hear from people right. afterwards? When, they, you know, when they've gone through this, uh, you know, do, what, do, what do 
What's the a common thing you hear from people? Well, I had uh, I had one gal tell me that she went in and asked for a promotion and she got it. <laughs> I had I've had several say that you know, I thought I was going through the motions to please my husband. Now I'm finding that this is re-thrilling us and we're connecting at a whole d- deeper level. Or And I've also had, you know, I've been able to, for the first time, to speak my sexual truth. And I'm, I'm happy. Or, and I've also had people say, you know what, I've been able to identify what the dissatisfactions were and I've changed it. Well, that's great. Yeah, it's so exciting. And I get some pretty uh, sly grins from the, the partners and lovers, <laughs> which is really satisfying. That's good. Yeah. So you, and there's ne- and now there's this whole uh, movement of the, the Fort FM alumni organization. What is that? The graduates are getting together for socializing, for classes, for going to events, just hanging out, going shopping. They're... They're socializing. They're forming a network of amazing, powerful women who aren't faking it. That's great. And they're supporting one another in their their times of doubts. Because you know, if if you go through this weekend, it's not like all your troubles are going to go away. They're going to be there, but just going to be able to have more tools by which to handle it, to add to the tools you already have, and to know other women. Look, if you're if you're working as a high-level executive, you're in, you've got a couple of kids, you're in an environment where you're, you don't have other kinky friends to speak of, and you had a bad scene, right, right. as they happen. Who are you going to call? So, but if you have a network of these graduates that you've gone through the experience together, you can pick up the phone and say, hey... I just had the scene that kind of went sideways. Want to go grab some coffee? And then along the way, also what ends up happening as the alumni are getting together is one woman says, oh, I'm looking for a CTO. Another one says, oh, I'm leaving my company. I'm, I'm the CTO there, whatever. Right. You know? it's, it's kind of interesting. That's great. The old gals network. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then they all just exchange so, numbers or you have like an online forum where they can all communicate together or how does that, they hmm. just exchange numbers and the, cause they click on the weekend and then, so they all just stick it, stay in touch or. Oh yeah. The each, each, each class will stay in touch, but we also have a graduate only hidden, I repeat hidden access to graduates only. Group. Oh, okay. So right, right. if you're not a graduate out there, for those of you listening, take the course and then you can right. join us. That's great, so, and the, it is an international list. You uh, so you said you're adding more classes. Where are they where are they come? I am. I am um, New York and San Francisco, uh, and they've been and oh, you should you should see. Okay, I'm going to have you over someday to the New York loft where we do it. It's this gorgeous, gorgeous loft in the Flatiron District. Beautiful. You would never know. It's this stunning. I, for a week, I pretend like I live there. <laughs> it's stunning, and. Uh, I can leak it to you that I'm also working on bringing this to Europe. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, stay tuned. I, 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 can, stay I tuned. guarantee you we have uh, plenty of uh, European listeners who are going to be very excited to hear that. So, Oh, yes. Um, so you, you also are, you, you do this, you've, I don't know how many, you said, you said you've done this many years, where you, you have a uh, benefit for 
for AIDS that you do almost every year? AIDS life cycle. Yes. It's a seven-day bike ride from San Francisco to Los Angeles, 545 miles, and 250 cyclists and 600 or so roadies. Now, I'm a roadie. That means I'm a volunteer uh, that helps all the cyclists do their crazy cycling thing. Right. And all the and the the fundraise goes to uh, education, prevention, research, and support for HIV services uh, and those who are HIV positive. Uh, like I said, it also goes for education and prevention as well. I think a lot of people think that it's not. HIV is not an issue anymore. It's been, in some sense, it almost feels like it's been trivialized. But the thing is, it's not cured. Right. There are still all, all the complications that come from it. And and I'm, I'm very passionate about this. I've lost friends from it. Many friends are affected by it. The thing is, also... In a, it's not gone. There's a lot of people that that think that it's not going to affect me. You've been do, and you've been doing uh, the the. I know the bike ride's been around for quite a while. What what? Yes. Your, how, how many years have you been helping out? Mm, Eleven years wow. now. The, yeah. A, people can go to your website, Planet Midori, and they can. Yeah. They can, there's a link there where they can uh, donate. Uh, or they can go to AIDS Lifecycle and they can look for the participant named Midori and I'll show there up. There you go. And, uh, yeah, this year I've been so busy with so many other projects that I'll be honest, my my fundraising for this, I mean, I'm, I'm donating 10 days of my time. Um, I spend every year 10 days in service to a greater cause. This is this is my submission in service. It's uh, It's great. And right now, as a time of recording this, it's uh, you've just got a few percentage points raised. However, oh, I know. we get the Massacast bump behind it, and we'll, please. <laughs> we'll get, and it's tax deductible for those of you in the U.S. You and for for those of you all over the everywhere everywhere on this earth, it's good karma. So people can go, they can donate for a good cause, and uh, and uh, show that the Massacast listeners are are uh, you'll get the it's instead of it's not a, not the Colbert bump, it's the Masochist bump is what they'll get out of it. So. Yay. <laughs> what, Yay. So, uh, you know, I've, I've told you this in the past that you are one of the busiest people. And, uh, I'm crazy. Uh, I am insane. And yet now you're, you're doing another thing now. You're going to be writing a book. Oh, my God. I'm in the middle of it. I'm so close to being done. I can practically taste how it. Is, oh, my how God. Is this, how did this come about, first of all? Well, it involves three insane writers, late night and alcohol. How's that? Because <laughs> you're doing this with two other people. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And the two others are formidable, formidable heavyweights of this uh, um, ero- world of erotic writing. And one is Laura Antonou of the Marketplace mm-hmm. series. She's been on before. Ta-da! Yeah. Amazing stuff. And if you haven't checked out, for those of you out there, if you haven't, look, if you want really, really, really hot DSSM fiction go to the marketplace exactly series it's like on you know book 50,000 or something I forgot I can't remember right now but it's amazing book writing amazing world right world crafting and it's hot and it's oh yeah um the the books that are out in mainstream just like doesn't even come close to it now if you want something funny though it's 
uh, that's based on the contemporary kink leather culture is the killer war leather, <laughs> yes. which is a murder mystery spoof. It's hilarious. It is very good. Yes, it is very funny. Yeah. yeah. And then the other author is is no one else but Cecilia Tan, the uh, owner founder of Circle of Press, amazing writer of from erotic short stories to novels to award winning um, uh, romance writer. And get this, baseball. <laughs> so how did you nonfiction baseball writing? So how did you how did this come about? You were all sitting around. You were all drinking. Yeah, we're all friends. We eat, we drink, we're talking about things. And and uh, how did this happen? Oh, my God. It was a few years ago, and we started uh, creating the world crafting. And, oh, and we had a friend of ours who's an agent who said that, hey, you know, the three of you could come up with an awesome book. And we started jawjacking and making up things. And it's a three-book novella set. And it's okay. can, can it's, you give a hint on the premise or anything? Or sure, sure. Um, it's set in a fictional Japan. Okay. And there is a there's a thread of a thread of sexual magic that runs through it, but um, Laura Antonu is writing on the past so she is writing from a feudal past it's actually based on a really hot her part it's based on a really hot short story okay now cecilia tan who's an accomplished science fiction writer among all the other things that she does she is writing a story set in future japan stark intense and uh thrilling set in urban japan Laura's written and set in feudal Japan in a lush imperial environment with swords and warriors and magic creatures and and uh, the imperial guards and so forth. Okay. Now then, there's me. I write about the present. And because Japan is my home country, um, it's nice. Uh, I've been able to go home and go visit rural villages, go to bars and call it research. Because it is. It is. It was awesome. It was awesome. I, I love staying in monasteries and, and the, in the hinterlands of Japan. And it was all research. That's right. But uh, imagine if you were, do you remember um, the TV show of way back, Northern Exposure? Of course, yeah. Okay, you know, city doctor goes to somewhere in Alaska, right? right. And and comedy and hijinks and cultural clash ensue. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay, com- combine that with True Blood. Oh well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. And set it in Japan. Okay, perfect. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, there's uh, we have a we have lots of sex and. Um, uh, actually, mine is frightfully leading towards romantic comedy with supernatural elements. Uh, no, that's probably like half the audience will yeah. be signing up for it right now. So, Oh, my God. Just imagine kinky sex with a giant mythical flying creature. Sold. So that's probably all yeah. you had to say. Probably all you had to say. Yeah. So are yeah. you guys comparing notes? And you, you, so you'll write one part, then you'll share it, or are you guys are you all keeping it hidden from one another until until you're done with it, and then you'll share it. Or how does that? How does the writing process work for that? 
Well, actually, there's a whole um, genealogy of the various characters and the origin magic and the origin secret, because there is a secret that is carried through a couple of different family lineage. And they intersect in different ways in the three different timelines. But the the mythology and the family chronology stays, and we've compared notes on that. And we have, along the way, consulted one another. But the cool thing is each of us have been able to write this within our style and within the different historical time frame. It really sounds fascinating. So each of you will have your own book, essentially? Is that how? Yes. That's great. Yes. And all connecting through. Um, and uh, the character names. Well, should this book ever get be translated into Japanese, the character names actually have uh, kanji character puns and significance to it as well, which we'll probably reveal in like the, the preface or afterwards or whatever. It sounds really and when are you hoping to be when when are we going to be lucky enough to be able to pick this up at our stores? 2015. Oh, wow. I promise, I promise. The other the other two are already done. They're just waiting for me. Um I'm at that like crucial climax where that guy and that guy and this girl and then that other sneaky one, they're just right about coming together the same time as there's this uh, quite literally a giant explosion. Well, this, is, this is great because I've been needing, I've been doing nothing but reading about code for the past like years so that I could definitely need a, a mental palette here. So this will be perfect. So, um, yes. Well, this has been, this is always great. I always really uh, have a really great feeling after I'm done talking with you and I'm sure our listeners have this exact same thing. I feel a lot more calm and just centered with my own self, just having a conversation with you. So I really always appreciate it when you Aww. come on. So, um, uh, and then, uh, you know, of course you're always welcome to come on again. I hope you'll come on like, you know, you know a oh. few more months, we can get another update from you. I'll be back. I'll be back. In fact, uh, I may have even been in your neighborhood today. If you take a look at my Instagram. Oh, great. Hmm. Great. Yes. I think I found a really cool new ramen joint. Uh, I think not too far from where you're at. So, so next oh, time, perfect. maybe a yeah, yeah. Uh, good talk over noodles. Trust me, I, I have been unable to leave the apartment other than for sure, very short walks. So as soon as I'm able to explore the city again, I'll be very happy. So, um, And I am a good guide to ramen. Perfect. Perfect. I look forward to it. So you have a, you have a Forte Femme coming up uh, in January. If someone wants to sign up, there's still time to do it. Yes. Uh, the next Fort FM in New York City is January 30th to February 1st, 2015. Registration is open. And then Fort FM San Francisco returns to San Francisco February 20th to the 22nd. Now, I also have a couple of rope dojos lined up. So... The next Rope Bondage Dojo is San Francisco, January 17th through 18th. And, gee, East Coast weather, <laughs> San Francisco in January, just saying. <laughs> and February uh, is just Fort FM in San Francisco. Then comes March. We can go to meet up at the Washington, D.C. Rope Dojo, March 7th to 8th, Washington, D.C. Registration for that's open at ropedojo.com. Thanks, Midori. Again, you can find everything on the website, massacast.com. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.